Welcome back to Practice Purchase, Season 3, Episode 7. We're talking legal documents in this season, and this is the episode where we're tackling real estate. So welcome back, Ashley Garvey-Smith. Thank you for having me. Okay, so when it comes to the real estate, there really are two options here. The buyer of the dental practice, which is a business, is going to do one of two things with the physical space that, where they're going to practice the dentistry. They're either going to lease the space and rent, or they're going to buy the space and own the building, which is a separate legal transaction. Either way, right? Either way, a lease is a separate document from the asset purchase agreement we just talked about, or the building purchase is a separate legal document. So there really are two legal things happening here, right? Exactly. Yes. Totally separate. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So to tee this up and get the listeners ready for what they're going to be listening for, we're going to tackle leases first and building purchases second. And if you know you're going to purchase the building, I would highly recommend you listen to the lease section. There are going to be some principles in covered in leases that are going to be important for you. And vice versa, if you know you're, buy, if you know you're leasing um, when it comes to buying the building, you never know. You may buy the building or some other building down the road, and you're going to want to know some of the basic principles here. So we'll keep uh, this pithy, and but we'll give you all of the helpful questions, background information, and everything you need to know on the legal side of leases and buying the building. So Ashley, as we get started um, with the leases, let's talk about the parties involved. Who, who is actually leasing with the APA, you said it's the LLC that's buying the business. Mm-hmm. Who's who's doing the lease? Is it the dentist or their business? Um, so generally, you want it to be your business. So if you have an LLC, you want your LLC to be the party that is leasing. However, with that said, almost every commercial lease has what's called a personal guarantee. And what this means is that you, as an individual are personally guaranteeing that the entity is going to pay. And if the entity doesn't pay rent and and doesn't fulfill their obligations under the lease, then you personally are going to be responsible. This is very typical in almost every commercial lease. And I will say when, you know, I was a litigator for four years, I've mentioned that before, but I did a lot of commercial real estate litigation and I was most of the time on the landlord side. And this is where people got, this is where tenants often got in trouble because they thought, hey, you can't sue my business. My business has nothing. Well, you signed the personal guarantee. So too bad for you. So it's really important to understand that when you enter into a lease, you're most likely going to have to sign a personal guarantee, which could mean your personal assets could be open to creditors if there is any a lawsuit or judgment against you. So um, if if you can get away with not signing a personal guarantee, that is great. That's kind of the first thing that I look for as an attorney. And I say, hey, if we can get away from a personal guarantee, that's going to be very beneficial to the buyer. But in most cases, it's not negotiable. Now, okay, with, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, now we're talking about the other party too. One thing that we should discuss is there there are two different kinds of landlords. There is the seller landlord. So it's the seller who owns the building and he or she decides that they want to continue to own the building and they are going to be your landlord. Um, And then there is a commercial landlord. What I will say is in almost every case, negotiations tend to be 
more amicable and a little bit easier with a seller landlord than they are with a commercial landlord. On my side of the deal, when I know a commercial landlord is involved, I tell the buyer straight up, hey, remember that closing date you thought you were going to buy the, the business? Guess what? It's going to be at least a month later than you thought. <laughs> because commercial, <laughs> yeah. I just feel like every time a commercial landlord's involved, the deal ends up taking way longer than we expected. And and it's not always the case, and I'm doing it a little tongue-in-cheek, but um, you know, it's just something to watch for is the timing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's, it. it's important to understand that distinction. Talk to me a little bit about, so in the APA, we went through the major sections. So we talked about the personal guarantee. Um, I, I would think rent is a big thing to watch out for in the lease. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about the rents and where, where you as a lawyer pay attention to. What are you, what are you watching for? Okay. So there are a lot of different types of commercial leases. And so the first thing you want to look at is the base rent and the annual increases for that base rent. Now, customarily, an annual increase is between 2 and 5%. However, 5% is super high. And it's really only acceptable in certain like high-density areas like New York and, and certain places in California. So I see two to three yeah, is most common. Generally, yeah, generally two to three, sometimes four, um, but we try to negotiate it around two to three percent increase per year. Um, it can be negotiated with some landlords, not all. If you've got a commercial landlord that has a lot of buildings, it's going to be a lot harder to negotiate that um, increase. Now, okay, so oh, I was going to interrupt and just kind of work through the math here because I'm a numbers guy. So if, if my lease is, and this would be an amazing lease, but my lease is a thousand bucks a month, a two percent increase means that in month 13, in other words, one year after I signed that lease, my rent, my rent automatically increases to 1,020 per month. Exactly, and then yes. two years from now, it's going to be another 2% on top of 1,020 and yes. so on and so forth. So in other words, they're, account, they're accounting for inflation ahead of time. And they're, they're saying exactly. rather than renegotiating the rent every year, we're just going to automatically tell you that it's going to go up a percentage ahead of time. Right. And the important thing to think about is if you are going to enter into a 10 year, let's say it's a 10 year lease. Most, most of the leases aren't 10 years, but they might have the option to extend for up to 10 years. But if you're going to enter into a 10 year lease and it continues to increase three to 4% over that time, you may want to try and negotiate a cap because over 10 years, who knows how, what the market's going to do. And so sometimes we'll include language in there that is, you know, or the market rate or something like that. It, it increases up to, you know, it can only increase up to 10% over the 10 years or something like that. So it's really important to understand, you know, what, what that 2 to 3% increase can really mean over a long period of time. Yeah, you're using the financial planner's argument, right? So that's my background is I say, well, the, the, the miracle of compound interest means you should save a lot of money now and let it grow over time. You're saying the same thing works with rent and only it's bad for the buyer, right? They're, 10 years from now. All right, actually, let me ask you this. Strategically, I have seen some sellers actually be very savvy with, and commercial people with, with how they approach this. They'll say, Hey, well, let's give them a little lower rent up front, but let's make the increases higher. 
right? So they're they're saying I'm willing to maybe lose a little cash up front, but in years eight, nine, and ten on this commercial elite, I'm really going to be raking it in. Um, is do you see? Is there a good strategy to watch out for here, or, or should we just rely on the lawyers to make sure that um, I'm not getting really screwed over? Well, I think you need to make sure that you do the math and you understand what that's going to mean. But the other thing that you have to consider is that that's just your base rent. There are other charges that are going to come with the lease. And so you've got to look at it as a whole. And so sometimes I will talk to buyers and I'll say, do you realize with with everything that you're paying right now, what you think you are paying is $3,000 a month? Do you realize that what you're actually paying is $4,500 a month? And they're shocked at that number because they haven't taken into consideration, I guess what we'll talk about next is CAM, um, common area maintenance or maintenance charges and additional charges. And these can be substantial. They can be variable. And so this is really why you're hiring your lawyer is to let you know, hey, this this is what this means. This is what CAM is going to end up costing you. And because in certain leases like triple net leases, so what a triple net, I know people see that all the time and they don't know what that means. But what a triple net lease is, is it is a lease that requires the tenant to pay the tenant's portion of all the costs, including CAM, maintenance, repair, taxes, and so, you know, property taxes and insurance. And this can be variable. So generally, the landlord will provide the tenants with a ledger at the beginning of the year and say, hey, here's your portion of CAM based on the amount of square footage that you lease, and you're now going to have to pay this every month on top of your base rent. So so the landlord is negotiating the contract with the, um, I don't know, the person who fixed the air conditioner, snow removal, grass cutting, but then it's the buyer who actually has to pay their portion, or excuse me, the tenant, in this case the buyer, who has to pay their portion of the bill from the person cutting the grass. Yes, and so that's a really good point because if you're working with a seller landlord, a lot of times you can negotiate and say, hey, you know what, if this is gonna be the case and I'm gonna be paying this these CAM charges, I want to negotiate the contract with the guy, you know, the landscaping company. And I want to negotiate the contract with the snow removal company because then mm-hmm. you can try and lower those costs. And mm-hmm. oftentimes landlords will allow you to do that. Got it. Okay. Um, you're saying the person that pays for it has an incentive to watch the cost. Really? That's really odd. Yeah, isn't that- <laughs> I was going to make a political comment, but that, I better not. All right. So um, real quick, again, not a lawyer. I see triple net leases as like, that's like 99% of what I see. I I would expect that uh, a buyer listening to this podcast, if they're seeing a lease, they're seeing a triple net lease, correct? Almost all the time. I, you know, if it's a, if it is a seller landlord, sometimes it is not a triple net lease. If it's a commercial landlord, almost every time. All right. Perfect. Um, Lease length. Talk to me a little bit about how long this contract is going to be. So is this like college where you know, I can sign a one year, uh, you know, rental agreement or, or is it different? Usually no. And the reason is because you're dealing with a lender. You've got this third party lender that's saying, hey, we're going to loan you money for a period of 10 years 
we need to know that you're going to be able to stay in that property for 10 years. So generally what you do is you negotiate, you know, an initial shorter period. You don't necessarily want a lease for 10 years. So what we might do is say, okay, the initial term is for three years. And then you have the option to extend. You have three options to extend for another three years. And so then that way the lender can say, okay, you have the option to stay in that property. Um, and you may or may, you might end up buying the building down the road. You know, you may, you, if it's like a seller landlord and eventually they want to sell it. So sometimes you'll want to throw in an option to purchase there. But um, the option to extend, the lease term and the option to extend generally have to comply with your loan term. Okay. Yeah. I tell buyers, you're borrowing money from the bank. It's a 10 year loan. The bank wants to know you can be in there for 10 years, whether it's a 10 year lease or a one year lease with 10 one year renewal options, plan on being there for the next 10 years, uh, or at least being able to prove you could be there. Yep, exactly. Okay, perfect. All right. Give me two more minutes on what to watch for in a lease. Okay. So here's something that is really, really important. And this is the waiving of any of your rights that you have as a tenant. And I just recently encountered this. There are some states that allow commercial tenants to waive their rights to certain due process and certain processes and procedures in a lawsuit if you end up defaulting on a lease. And so um, this can be called a confession of judgment, which basically states if you default, um, and, and it could even say, we don't need to give you notice. And there are only certain states that allow this, but there are other rights that you could be waiving as well. But certain states say, okay, if you default, we don't have to give you notice. We, you don't have to go through a whole discovery process and a lawsuit. Um, you give this attorney a power of attorney to essentially get a judgment against you. And we can bypass the long lit- you know, litigation process. The problem with this is you're waiving your right because you you know you're not always defaulting on a lease because you can't pay it. There may be other reasons that you are defaulting on a lease, and so I think it's important to maintain any right that you have as a tenant and not waive those rights in a lease. And so this okay. is a really important provision to these because there could be several waiver of rights p- provisions that you need to watch out for. Got it. Watch for waivers of rights. All right. That's, that's perfect. I didn't know that one. That's good. Anything else? Okay. And just one more thing. Um, and, and this comes up frequently, know what you can or cannot do to the property and what's mm. that, what that's going to mean for you. So if you do any improvements or repairs is, are those improvements or repairs then going to be property of the landlord if you leave or are you going to get reimbursed for any improvements or repairs that you make? Most of the time, no, but sometimes you can negotiate that. And I think it's always worth trying to negotiate it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Perfect. All right. What if I'm buying the building? Okay. Um, talk me through the basics of w- what's going to be different. Anything different about like the who of buying a building? Um, so for here, you don't have the personal guarantee issue. So you can, you want right. to set up a separate LLC for your building ownership. So generally your practice LLC is not going to be the LLC that actually purchases the building. Right. So you'll have, you'll essentially have two businesses and one is going to be, you know, one is going to own the building and that limits your liability. Um, so you generally so there's, want, there's, 
Brian Hanks, there's Brian Hanks DDS LLC, and then there's Brian Hanks Real Estate Holdings. Exactly. There's like a, a second field. Okay, got it. Yep. yep. And that's generally how we name them too. We make it really simple. Um, okay. The other thing is, um, you know, I and it's it's essentially the same thing as purchasing a home. You're just purchasing a lot bigger building most of the time, and 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 there are other things that you have to look for. So you're going to look for the same thing. You know, do your due diligence. Don't be rushed through it. But one thing that I think a lot of people forget to do is um, get estoppel certificates from the current tenants. So if there are any other tenants in the building, it might be a standalone building and you might not have other tenants. But if there are other tenants in the building, you want to get estoppel certificates. And I'll tell you what these are in kind of plain language, but estoppel certificates... Go ahead. Are you saying S-stopple? S-stopple. Yes, it's, it's okay. yeah, S-stopple. No, no, yeah, this is a new word it's for me to teach very, me. It's okay. very much jargon. It's the dumbest word, but it is a document in which the tenant represents or promises certain things regarding the lease. So, they, you know, the tenant- Time out, time out. This, yeah. is, this is, I'm buying a building that has more than just me as the dentist in it. There's a chiropractor on my left. There's a pizza place on my right or whatever. Is that, that what yes, we're talking about? Yes, and so it's not, okay. it's not very common. However, sometimes you'll buy a dental practice and there might be, you know, it might be a standalone building like look, that looks kind of like a house and yeah, upstairs yep, yep. there might be a chiropractor. Or, okay. or something like that. And and that's where I see this happen most often because you're you're not going to buy the whole strip mall in most cases. So right. these are usually okay. the practices that are these standalone buildings that might have one other tenant, you know, a lawyer in the upstairs or that might have like an additional room that someone might be doing some business in. And so Okay, so I'm stopping off for some pizza. Oh, sorry, that was really bad. Okay, <laughs> keep going. I'm I'm sorry. So sorry. <laughs> Estoppel, it's it's a really dumb legal word. I don't even know why people... I would lend to a pizza place. I'm just saying, I want the pizza place next to me. Okay, so yes, the pizza place is there. You want the pizza place to say, hey, here's my experience with my lease and my rental agreement thus far, and, and I'm going to represent these things to you as the new buyer. And essentially what it does, it's the best way to confirm if the seller or the landlord has lived up to its end of the lease and to make sure that the seller or the landlord isn't going to be obligated to perform any work on the property. And so if, a, you know, if the pizza place says, Hey, this landlord has been telling me for years that it's going to fix this leak and they still haven't done that. You are going to be responsible as the buyer to do that. If you don't get that estoppel certificate from the tenant, this yeah, is not very common, but so, you know, just consider that if you are purchasing a building that might have other tenants in it, you're going to have to take that into consideration. Got it. What does due diligence look like when you're buying a building? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, so you're going to make sure, you know, obviously you're going to do your classic inspections, you're going to do the appraisal, and you're going to do all those things that you need to do. But you also need to know like what the taxes and the fees associated with the purchase and the property are. And because this is going to be different in every single jurisdiction, and you want to know, you know, I think the inspection is the key because some of these buildings are old. You know, I a lot of these yeah. standalone buildings can be really old and you want to make sure you understand fully what you're getting into when you're buying that building. 
Okay, perfect. Standard stuff, I assume, mold, asbestos, termites, whatever. Just, you know, do I need to replace the foundation, that kind of thing? Yeah, hire hire a competent home inspector. Don't, you know, don't hire your friend that says, I can just walk through it and put a quarter down and tell you if it's level. I I, literally (laughs) that happened. So that was (laughs) very nice. It's an amazing quarter. Um, So, all right. Any last things that buyers should be thinking of with the real estate, uh, you know, the legal side of the real estate deal when they're buying the building? Yeah. I think one more thing, because real estate purchase agreements are generally drafted, um, you know, to, they're, they're pro seller in most cases. And so okay. what happens is often remedies for the buyer, if the seller breaches are left out of the real estate purchase agreement. And so you need to make sure that there are remedies for you as the buyer, if the seller act, you know, actually breaches the agreement and you need to recover your damages and costs. Cool. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to me. It's pretty sweet if you're the seller and you can leave that out. Yeah. It happens uh, all the time. Okay. Good to know. Well, actually, nice work. Um, so we've talked APA. We've talked lease. Uh, what's next? Let's see. I think the next thing that what we haven't talked about, we've, we've talked APA, we've talked lease, purchasing the building. Um, uh, we've talked about entities already. You know, yep. that's mostly what you're going to be dealing with when you have a lawyer helping you with, with those three things. So you tell me what's okay, next. Perfect. So eight, nine and 10, we're going to talk strategy. I'm excited to get into, you know, you negotiate all day long. Buyers have a ton of questions. So in the next uh, three episodes, I'm, I'm really excited to pick your brain for advice uh, beyond just what questions should I ask? Uh, I'm really excited to get into some of the experiences you've had. Yeah, this will, you know, negotiation and communication is one of my favorite topics to talk about. And so I'm excited to talk about that as well. Okay. Thank you for your help, Ashley. We'll talk to you in the next episode. Okay. Thanks. We'll see you. 